0: and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP, a national insurance broker with strong local content. Our podcast is featured on the All Indiana Podcast Network in partnership with Wish TV. You may find Leaders and Legends at allindianapodcastnetwork.com. Thinking of starting a podcast or need to host a public meeting, let Leaders and Legends LLC be your partner as you look for new ways to communicate your message. Please contact Chris Spangle and me at LeadersandLegends.net. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. He's pretty cute, wasn't he? Yeah, he was great. Our guest today is Mel Raines, and the Mel is short for
1: Michelle with one L.
0: And that is your designated trouble name.
1: <laughs> when I'm in trouble, Rick Fuson calls me Michelle, so I know. No, I know something bad has happened.
0: <laughs> Mel has been with Pacer Sports and Entertainment since 2015. She now serves as president and chief operating officer. Correct as well as president of the 2024 NBA All-Star Local Organizing Committee. To be candid, if we sat here and read everything that she is doing, would do, or has done, we could just get right to the five questions because our time would be up. It's no surprise that Mel gets selected and gets asked to do these things. She's a singularly impressive, respected, and beloved person in this city. Thank you, Mel.
1: Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, you have been nothing but kind to me, and I think everybody else on the planet who you've encountered. (laughs) And so, you know, unlike some of the folks we've had on here who've had a little bit of a rougher uh, edge to them, it doesn't mean that you can't be tough, but your career is terrific. uh, Like a lot of us, kind of started out in politics a little bit. I did. And used that as kind of the springboard, the foundation. Um, Reading through your bio, you're from South Bend, but you went to Indiana University in Bloomington.
1: I did. I did. I, d- I decided at 17, because these are the smart things you decide at 17, that I didn't want my da- my mom or my dad to show up at my dorm room, you know, when I was 18, <laughs> like five minutes, 10 minutes from home. So We're in the um, elevator. yeah, now that's assuming I could have gotten into Notre Dame, which which is debatable. Um, but my older sister was at IU and I had gone down to see her a couple of times. And, you know, when you're making these big decisions, I thought I could fill out a postcard at the time. It was a postcard to go to mm-hmm. IU. Um or I could do this really long application and write these essays, and my mom's gonna show up at my dorm room. So I filled out the postcard and I went to IU.
0: Were your sister, were you guys there at the same time eventually? You spent time there together?
1: We were. My sister is four years older than I am, but Mm -hmm. she liked IU so much, she was there for six and a half years to get her undergrad degree. So we didn't overlap (laughs) in high school, but we did overlap in college, which was great, because when I first got there, I was a little homesick. And it was nice to have her there and her friends um, became, you know, like big sisters to me, too.
0: Did you do the sorority thing?
1: I did not. I did not. I was at McNutt. Um, So Mm -hmm. I was there for two years. And then uh, my three girlfriends that um, we lived on the same hall wound up uh, getting an apartment junior year and a house senior year. So that was my sorority. Did
0: We've had several IU grads on the podcast. We've had actually the current president, President Witten, on the podcast, who graduated from Kansas, I believe. Nobody... I've interviewed or have met ever wanted to leave IU and they would all go back there today, especially with the money they have now, if they could, what makes Bloomington Indiana University so special? Cause it clearly is.
1: It is. It is. And I, I my story is a little different. I'll tell you than that. Um, and I grew up in a college town, so I think it was really familiar to me to be in yeah. another college town. Um, but it's a beautiful Envi- you know, campus and environment and all all of those things. But between junior and senior year, I went to London. I was an advertising major, and I went and worked in an advertising agency and did an internship and studied there. And I came back my senior year, and I decided Bloomington was just too small for me. I was just I was now going to be a big city person, and I could not. I needed to spread my wings. So I was cutting through the SPIA building. I was a telecom major, and they had one of those things on the wall where you pull off like. Um, the slips on the bottom to sure. apply to things. Mm-hmm. And I applied to the D.C. I didn't know where Washington, D.C. was, but I, I thought that's a city. And I applied to go to the SPIA Washington semester my last semester senior year because I, I just felt like I wanted to be in a big city. And I got in. I was the only non-SPIA student. And that's kind of just how I wound up on this strange 20-year political path, never really having taken a poli class. <laughs> I do love Bloomington. I go back. I have a friend who lives down there. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the IU-Purdue game last last year where we beat Purdue at Assembly Hall. And it was amazing with uh, my college roommate, Karen, who's still one of my closest friends. And I see her every week in our Pilates class. And she uh, and so it's just a special place. But I was ready to leave earlier than most people probably.
0: So when did you mask? When did you graduate from IU?
1: Um, I graduated in 91.
0: So you missed... My trying to do my math here. You missed I was, missed in, I was the in between.
1: Yeah, my sister, my sister was there for that. And I, as I recall, she woke up in her closet with a sprained ankle the next day and doesn't know what happened. <laughs> but I, I was not, I was not there.
0: <laughs> I was in high school. And I was in the army. And the first TV I watched after basic training was when they beat UNLV in the final four. Oh, that was the very first thing that I saw yeah. coming out of Fort Knox. Yeah, and. So you left before they got super good again.
1: I did. I did. But my freshman year, we were really good in football, mm-hmm. like we were recently. And Anthony Thompson? Yes. And I thought, because I grew up in South Bend, like everybody's good in football, right? <laughs> and so I, the, we beat Michigan and Ohio State my freshman year. And I thought, well, that's just what happens. And then I was 50, some you know, before it happened again. <laughs> so I didn't realize I was how lucky I was.
0: You, you work with... Mr. I.U. You worked with two Mr. I worked IUs. with a
1: lot of Mr. I.U.s, yeah. Uh,
0: Bill Benner being one of them when he was at Pacer Sports and Entertainment. Yep. And uh, we should say best wishes to Sherry Benner. Hope you feel feeling better. Yeah. I know you're kicking cancer's ass, but we love you and think the world of you and, and hope for the best. The Benners are the best. They Absolutely. are. Including the recently departed David Benner. Mr. David
1: Benner, yep. We Such miss him.
0: A funny guy. Yeah. He came on the podcast. We spent an hour and a half making fun of Bill Benner. It was I the listened most- <laughs> to
1: it. It was great. It was great.
0: He's a wonderful, wonderful man. And you're right. We do miss him. Yeah. And to Jane Jankowski, our, our deepest sympathies. Yeah.
1: Jane's the best, too.
0: Jim Morris, Mr. Indiana University. Correct. Is it fun being surrounded by a group of folks who just kind of know in a small degree what your life was like in college and kind of coming out of it because Jim Morris was a political... Person yeah. coming out of college when he started working for uh, Mayor Luger.
1: Yeah, it's you know the Pacers are just a great. It's a feels like a, it's a small family business in a lot of ways. Um, and we're an NBA team, but you know the owned by the Simon family and and Jim's been there for I think he just had his 15 year anniversary with the Pacers. Um, and um, you know Rick is in his 40th season and he is an IU guy as well. He played football at IU. Not a lot of people know that he and Quinn were on the football team together. Oh, um, I did
0: not know that. Well, yeah. I've tried to get Mr. Fuson on the podcast. If you could prod him, I would
1: love, I that. will do my best, but you know, it's he, either Rick, him
0: or Denny Sutherland.
1: Rick, Rick does what Rick wants to do <laughs> as you know. Um, and you know, and so, and then Quinn, who's now the, the head of the board of trustees. And so it's, um, there's a lot of IU people there. There's also a lot of Purdue, uh, graduates. So so we um, we have pretty good rivalry uh, back and forth. We have some Ohio State people that they're especially hard to stomach. But um, point taken. But yeah, it's very it feels it's very um, you know very homey, and I think we're all proud whenever an in Indiana University does well at anything. Certainly, but we there's a lot of we don't wear a lot of red around the office because of the Bulls, but mm-hmm. occasionally you you see some good IU wear. Yeah,
0: and you have one of my favorite Miami Dolphins fans and that's Mr. Danny Lopez. Danny
1: Lopez and he wears teal and orange like nobody's business. Yeah.
0: He I've been a Dolphins fan since Super Bowl 6 and he and I and your friend Roger Harvey bond over the Miami Dolphins. Great. Yeah. Great people. Great yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned your start in politics. A lot of us kind of you know, I went in the army, went to college, got involved in politics. That was kind of the path that I wanted to choose. You mentioned about going to Washington, D.C. How did it change your life? Who did you meet? How did it expand your horizons? You were talking about wanting to be in a big city. Washington, D.C. is a significant place. It's
1: a big city, yeah. I can still remember I landed in January 91, right before the Persian Gulf War started, and taking a cab, never having been there, to to our apartment building where they housed us um, for IU, and and um, it was, you know, the middle of the day on a weekday, and people are running, and you drive by the, you're going by the Pentagon and the Lincoln Memorial and the Mall, and it's just this overwhelming feeling. And um, and it's when you're young, it's such a great city. There's so much to do, and there's so many young people, and there's so many free happy hours in there, you know, so, so I had I had um, a great roommate, and it was it was a really good program. Um, and she's still here and, and friends friends as well. And we just we had a great semester. And I fell in love with DC, not really politics, my roommate, Kim worked for Senator Luger and was an intern in his office. And so I learned a lot Kim. about Kim Skillman, Kim Eckerly. Eckerly. Sorry. She's, okay. she's been married for 25 years. I should know that. But uh, to Jason Eckerly, who's also a dear friend and was on our program. Um, and they, um, so I learned a lot about The Hill from her. And, and a lot of the other folks interned that I was there with were interning on The Hill for House members or. Um, or, or Senator Luger. and so when we were getting ready to graduate, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to go back, and I applied for an internship with Dan Coates and Office, and I think I was the only female applicant, which I'm sure helped because I'm sure it was a terrible application. If I read it, I would be mortified to see whatever <laughs> I wrote down because I wasn't really political, um, but I wanted to stay, and I thought that would be a good place to start my career. And um, so I started there in June of '91, and. In August, he was running for his re-election. Um, he had been appointed to the seat when Dan Quayle became vice president, so he had to run statewide in a special election to keep it in 90, and then statewide again in 92 for a full six-year term, um, which is which is tough you know, to do two statewides in, in two years. And um, so I got the internship. Somebody moved back to be his driver for the campaign, and so I got the front office job, which was – Maybe my favorite job I've ever had because I'm I'm good at talking on the phone and um, we got to read all the magazines that came in, uh, People Magazine and Time Magazine and Newsweek and you got all the free magazines and um, it was just a great a great office. I mean, Dan just we had some superstars in that office that have gone on to do some really astonishing things and I learned so much in that time. But it's a miracle I got that job because I was not a great intern.
0: Well. Let's spend a second. Like you, I've met hundreds of people, important people in politics. I mean, someone like a Jim Morris is an important person in politics, Absolutely. even though he's not political. There's nobody nicer. That's not true. I put Greg Ballard one because he's the nicest man. But Dan Coates is one A. A. He is so incredibly personable and genuine and kind and funny. Yeah. And um,
1: well, I'm gonna humble. I'm gonna maybe he's gonna jump to one AA for you when I tell you this story. <laughs> so as an intern, he had an assistant, a a secretary who had been with him for years and she was she was fantastic and she never left her desk. And this is before cell phones and you know, your landline is important in the Senate at the time. She goes to her annual once a year. She goes to lunch, I think, with the other secretaries. <laughs> so she asks me, can you sit at the desk for an hour? It's Senate Policy Committee. He won't be here. Just take messages, and I'll be back in exactly 60 minutes. I say, I'm, no problem. I got this. Well, Policy Committee gets canceled, and Senator Coach shows up. And so he goes in, you know, he, I'm nervous. He goes in his office. He said, I'll just be, if anybody calls, I'm in here working. And I said, Okay. So the phone rings, and he was on the Armed Services Committee, and Secretary of Defense Cheney's secretary is calling and says, the Secretary of Defense would like to speak with Senator Coates And I say, okay, just a minute. And I put it on hold, and I run around the desk, I go in his office, and I say, Secretary of Defense Cheney's on the phone for you. And he says, great, send it right in. And I go out, and I proceed to disconnect the call accidentally. So he, I'm freaking out, of course, because the diamond that blinks is now gone. So Phone rings again, and it's now Secretary of Defense Cheney. No more assistant saying, I need to talk to Dan Coates. And I say, just a minute. And now Dan's standing in front of my desk, and I panic, and I take the handset, and I just hang it up. I literally (laughs) completely panicked. And he just looked at me, and I don't know how he didn't kill me. And it immediately rang again, and he goes, just get up. Get up from your desk. (laughs) And he took the call at Karen's desk and then went back in his office. And Karen came back 20 minutes later and said, how did everything go? And I said, it, it did not go well. Things did not go well. You should never leave again. Don't ever leave again.
0: <laughs> and did she look at you like, what could possibly What did you done?
1: do? Yeah. So anyway, I still got the job. I don't know how, but he, I think I amused him enough in general that he liked me. And, but I literally would have strangled me if I were him.
0: So does that give you, you've had assistance yeah. in your career which we're going to talk about next. Does that give you a little bit of extra patience?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much grace from him and and everyone. I've been lucky. I've, I've generally had really great mentors and bosses and leaders I worked for. And yeah, absolutely. And I used to think at the time he was, you know, he was old. He was younger than I am right now. And I'm definitely not old. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, I mean... I hope not, because I'm older yeah, than you. Yeah, he's, you know, he was like 50 at the time. And he it was a U.S. senator and just so great. Um, and I worked there for almost five years. I loved working there and had several jobs along the way. And like I said, we had a bunch of superstars in that office that have gone on to do super interesting things, including the senator himself. And um, so it was a great first place to land.
0: He... I met him and uh, Devin Anderson, speaking of mm-hmm. Rockstar. Yeah, Devin
1: was there when I was there.
0: Uh, I was working at the Holiday Inn Airport, out of the Army, going to college, but was working at the Holiday Inn Airport for Jim Dora's company, yeah. and you know, both Mr. I Dora and his Jim son. Jim last
1: night, yeah.
0: And uh, he, he was just wandering Dan Coates, Senator Coates at the time. This would have been probably spring of 92, so he was running again, yep. this time against Joe Hawks that he had beaten Baron Hill in 90. Yep. And... He's just wandering the hall, this big atrium at the Holiday Inn Airport. And he had someone with him who looked exactly like Superman, which turned out to be Devin Anderson, yep, Clark, Clark Kent. Kent. Yep. And I said, you know, sir, forgive me, but would the senator like a room to kind of just hang out in if he's waiting for a call or a flight? And, you know, Senator Luger was at the Holiday Inn Airport all the time. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, sure. That's, you know, how nice of you kind of thing. I'm like, it's Senator. Your are No one else recognized him. Yeah. He was fairly new he came up to me afterward and Dan Coates came to me afterward and gave, he personally gave the key back, of course, said, you know, thank you so much. would love to have you work on the campaign. Let me know. And he was an army veteran, is an army veteran. I was just out of the army. So we talked about that. And it was the first campaign I ever worked on was 92. Everybody was wonderful. Bros McVeigh was the yep, campaign, campaign manager. manager. Everybody was so wonderful. And you fast forward 20 some years later, Senator Coates agrees to come on the podcast. He does. And I said, sir, we'd like to have you on twice. And he's coming on again. What would you like me to call you? Senator? Mr. Ambassador? Director? Because he was Director of National Intelligence. He goes, I'll spell it out for you. And I said, sure, go ahead. And he goes, (laughs) D-A-N. And I said, you're kidding me. And he goes, no, call me Dan. I said, I only do that on one condition. And he chuckled. He goes, what? I go, you have to give me permission during the podcast to call you Dan. Because I don't want the listeners to think that I'm some sort of you know parvenu, and he laughed he goes, "I'll take care of that for you, don't worry about it so dan Coates couldn't yeah. could not be so smart, so respected. I just wish we had more Dan Coates in the world
1: yeah, statesmen, I agree um yeah, the Senate in ninety one was a different place I mean it was not was my next
0: question actually was how much different
1: so much different um and uh, you know, it was antiquated, right? We didn't have email, so we opened letters and, <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. But, um, we we were around the corner from Chuck Robb from Virginia, who was a Democrat. Um,
0: Vietnam vet. Yeah. Married to Lyndon Johnson's daughter. Yep,
1: yep. Lady Bird used to bring them popsicles in the summer, once Once a summer, <laughs> she would come by. And, um, and we would play softball with them and go to happy hour with them. And they were, you know, it was, what was, what I've often thought back about is, when um, it's hard for me to call him Dan, I always I, I saw him last summer, I call him senator, you know, when he was he was exactly the same person in night in, in the early 90s as when he went back to the Senate in, in 2011. And and he was one of the most maybe the second or third most, most conservative senator when I worked for him. You know, Jesse Helms oh, might sure. have been a little farther sure. right. But, you know, but he's he's a true north. You know, he, he has not changed. And he was a moderate when he went back. And that's not a long span of time, no. <laughs> you know, twelve years to to have that kind of swing, and um, you know, j- it was just a little bit more collegial um, in terms of the all the offices and you know, talking to each other, and it just—I I don't know—when I went back and, and worked for Susan Brooks, who's who's also phenomenal, um, just, a plus, yeah, just the. Um, I don't know, the tenor, the mood, the it's just really different. And, of course, I'd been in D.C. in between there, but not the hill's different. When you're on the hill, it's different. When you're working on the hill, it, it, it's just a different feeling um, and not really a good feeling.
0: Would you advise young people? If you talk to folks, groups all the time, I'm guessing, or have certainly throughout your career. Uh, would you advise someone to a like 22- Twenty-year-old college young man or young woman to go into politics?
1: Um, oh, that's hard. I mean, I think if you feel passionately about something, yes, then then of course. And I think that public service is important. I, I feel that maybe you're working in for the city like you did, or the state government, or maybe you're working for the federal government in the Hill. It, it's a it's a honorable profession. It certainly is, and it's hard. And you don't get paid a lot of money and, all you know, you work a lot and it can be difficult. Um, so I don't want to I wouldn't steer people away. I just I wish we could get a little bit more, you know, every single day doesn't have to start with a tweet that, you know, gets your day off on a roller coaster ride. And and what I was always proud of when I worked for Senator Coates is, I mean, we I think he co-authored head start with Ted Kennedy when I was there. Like, that's okay, you know. (laughs) You can work together doesn't mean you're a weak, terrible person and you shouldn't be in office. It means you can find common ground to do good things sometimes.
0: Think about Richard Lugar losing the primary because of a lot of reasons, but one of them being his willingness to work with Barack Obama. Whatever you think of, President of the United States, we all got to work together.
1: But I hope lots of good, smart young people do decide to go there and change things, and I hope that smart good people like Dan and Susan Brooks keep running for office.
0: You meet really, really good. If you don't care about the other person's point of view on issue X, Y, or Z. In other words, if that's not how you base everything, you know, a lot of people in politics wake up on vibrate and they just can't wait to be arguing with somebody. If you get past that, then you really will meet some of the most brilliant, Honest, caring, genuine, loyal people on the other side and have these amazing friendships. Yeah. And then just realize that when the curtain closes, they're going to vote for Democrat and you're going to vote for Republican. And you know what? That's not the end of the world. It's kind of what we fought for multiple times.
1: Absolutely. I have some really close friends who are Democrats, and, you know, that's, there should be two parties or more, even. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's okay to not think the same thing and to, go have a, a milkshake or a martini after work <laughs> with them and um and you know I, I again you've got to collaborate to get things done and so I have some really good friends who are democrats and um I tease them some Taylor Schaefer's a, t- a good friend and you know I tease her that she drives her Bernie Sanders mobile Volvo <laughs> around but you know she I think is shocked that um also to be my friend but we have a lot in common and 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 we have a goal to make downtown better and, you know, it brings you together. It doesn't matter, you know, and, who and you work
0: for. And Taylor Schaefer, who used to be chief of staff for mayor, Joel Hogshead is now president of Indianapolis, downtown Inc or yep. downtown Indy. Yep. Terrific young leader, very personable. I've had lunch with her several times, always at English Ivy's cause that's our place. Yeah. And much like the foundation of modern Indianapolis, which is a hell of a lot different than the Naples I grew up in when I was a kid. You realize it's like we need the Michael Brownings and the Mark Miles or else we can't succeed. Absolutely. You're listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. Our guest today is Mel Raines. She is president and chief operating officer of Pacers Sports and Entertainment. I've asked several guests like a Bill Benner, a Mark Miles, folks who've been around a while, Jeff Smolian, folks like that. If I had told you in 1982 that not only would Indianapolis have a professional football team, we would host a Super Bowl while completely redefining what it meant to host a Super Bowl. What would your answer have been? What would your reaction have been? Mm. And they all look at me like I'm from Neptune. like They're just like, no way. Or, you know, oh, we could see it kind of. But the vast majority is, I couldn't have believed it. You were in the trenches from day one, basically, for the Super Bowl committee that that pulled off what I would say is the apex of Indianapolis' performance on the world stage, if you take out the 500 every year no offense to those folks but i mean really the super bowl is sui generous it's just a gigantic event how did you come to be associated with the super bowl committee what was your role and just take a little take some time and tell us what it was like to work on something where everyone is watching
1: yeah sure i i owe my time there um very much to a couple people so mike mcdaniel who I've known for years um, when he was state party chair. Yep, great guy. Um, He was state party chair when I worked at the Republican National Committee, got to know him well over the course of many years. Uh, He was up in Minnesota on a visit, um, scouting out the delegation stuff for the 2008 Republican convention. I was the COO of that convention and we were having dinner the day after Indy won the Super Bowl bid for 2012, so this is four years ahead of time, and he was telling me about it, and I just sort of, I just sort of parked that in the back of my mind, um, anyway. So then, fast forward, and and the other person um, is Jack Swarbrick, so the Notre Dame athletic director, who's a Democrat.
0: Who is a Democrat? <laughs> I, I am- could say that both. Uh, Mike McDaniel and Jack Swarbrick have come on the Leaders and Legends oh, podcast. Yeah. They're terrific.
1: They're great. So Jack, I had met when Indy bid to host the Republican convention in 2000. I was a staff person traveling with the committee. And um, Jack, I think, sort of took a um, an interest in me being a Hoosier. And we kept up over over the years. And so I knew Jack was, was affiliated with it through Mike. So um, in early 09, I reached out to Jack and said, um, could you introduce me to Allison? LinkedIn? we had coffee. I think it might've been over Christmas of 08. We had coffee and she told me the process. She's gonna post the jobs and here's what they'll be. And so anyway, I kept an eye out. I applied online with everybody else. I think 140 or 50 people applied for the job I wound up getting. Um, I did get, I, I feel confident I got the interview because of, the connection to jack and mike and others but i didn't really call in i didn't i didn't lobby i didn't call governor daniels or i didn't call anybody and say start. yeah i wanted them to hire me because they thought i was the right person for the job and i would do well not because they felt pressure to hire me so i did a phone interview and there was a committee carol uh, another great one um caroline mays was the HR, head of hr she grilled me on this call and, um, and, and she then, doesn't play
0: around, does she? She does
1: not. I love her. <laughs> and so then, uh, they, then they flew me out and uh, I did an in-person interview and um, wound up getting the job. And so I was the fourth person on the 30-person staff or whatever.
0: Were you at the Republican National Party?
1: not at the time i had so, so you i
0: said they flew you out so what was, were you doing i was i was in dc
1: i had finished in the white house mm-hmm. um and uh, i was doing political consulting with mary Cheney. so she she had a group and a firm loved working with mary um, I was just read 20 years. I was ready mm-hmm. to move back to my home state and um, do something different. And this was about as different as I could have imagined going to work on a Super Bowl. But I had a significant event experience having worked, I think, at, on four Republican conventions at that point. Um, that's what attracted my my resume stood out to Allison because of the security piece I had right. overseen. You know, it's, it's a little more complicated when you get to a Super Bowl. Um So anyway, I moved back in September of 2009, and it was awesome. Um, And it was also humbling because I had... You know, I'd been the COO in Minnesota on that convention and I had a driver and an assistant and I was 125 people <laughs> and I was, I got there and I was like booking Mayor Ballard's flight myself to go to the Miami Super Bowl site trip. Like, <laughs> like it was bare bones.
0: You booked my flight? Yeah, we did. We did. Our flight? Yeah, my, yeah. There's no way. Yeah. Allison. Well, that, <clears throat> that's the world yeah. turned upside down, yeah. isn't it? Mel Raines, the one of the most respected leaders <laughs> in the history of this city. And she,
1: <laughs> it was roll up your sleeves and we, there's no one else that's going to do the work and we have to, you know, take 30 people down there. So we, it was great though. And, and it was, it was to come back home after 20 years gone and immediately in 90 days, reconnect with everybody um, was, you know, because everyone wanted it to be successful and everyone was all in, whether that was the corporate community, the, you know, the governor's office, the mayor's office. And so, I couldn't have, it it accelerated me coming back 10 years if I had taken a regular job, you know, a quote, regular job. So, um, and it was great. I'd met Eric um, Holcomb before. He had come out. He had come to D.C. with Governor Daniels, who won an award for his second reelection. And I was working for Vice President Cheney, and we stopped by the event, and I met him there, and he wanted to- uh, Speaking
0: of nice guys in politics. Yeah,
1: great guy. Wanted to meet, uh, he said, can I get my picture with, with Vice President Cheney. I mean, he's a staffer. And I said, of, like, of course, you know, so I introduced them. And he gets a picture. I sent it to him and after. And so when I got back, you know, we had lunch and it just sort of restarted a great friendship that, you know, now it's so great that he's governor. But it's just so funny how you look back to 2009 where everybody was. And um, and it's not that long ago, but it is that long ago. Being
0: a staffer like, like you've been, <clears throat> Eric's been, Governor Holcomb. Myself, others, as you were saying, it is humbling because, you know, you do do this. I, it's not scut work, but it's not glamorous. You know, I got iced tea for the state auditor when I was her executive assistant. I mean, those things are just what you do. Yeah. They, and yeah. when they, you listen to you say some of the things you've done, I'm, I'm laughing, thinking, A, that's kind of how you pay your dues. And B, you know, you reflect upon that. When you when you're in higher positions of authority and responsibility, you know, when an executive assistant says, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot to. I'm always like, don't even give it a second thought. It's not that big a deal. Do you know how many times I screwed up a lunch reservation when I was Connie Nas's executive assistant? But when you get into the higher places of responsibility, how do you stay Mel rains
1: I I guess I don't know any other way to be, you know, I mean, uh, it's um, I I don't think I read much press about myself I guess I don't know that there's that much press about myself anyway but you know I, I am who I am and I think I'm a sort of have worked for servant leaders and um, I just think my style is the same you know you were you were I appreciate the work that other people are doing because I've done that same work exactly. you know when I'm when I walk around the building I was at we had a fever game Sunday and I was walking uh Danny and I were working the game and uh there was like this drives me insane the stickers they put on the bottom of the hats that we sell mm-hmm. that are like NBA official stickers like people peel them off and they like stick on our terrazzo and it drives me insane and so I was walking by and I saw one and I like got down on my hands and knees and peeled it up I'm like I cannot walk by this and You know, should I be doing that? Probably not. But I can't not do that. You know, I mean, I can't walk by trash on the concourse and not pick it up. I want the other 300 employees we have to do the same thing. So that's how you should be. And so I guess that's a small example to say, um, you know, I am who I am. And and so what
0: what what could someone do to make you angry? I've never heard you raise your voice ever.
1: Oh, well,
0: other than, I have. other than driving, I which have. we know you have a particular <laughs> affinity for. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, there are two things that probably make me irrationally angry. One is technology problems. I just can't stand it when something doesn't work or the email doesn't go through, you know, when the... the um, comes on that just says it's waiting that just makes me insane
0: alan this is all working right all this technology yeah okay it
1: it better be alan don't make me mad um i know and then the other one is on i just it's gonna be funny i said honestly is people who lie right just tell me tell me that don't tell me versions of the truth that aren't the truth just don't lie to me and we're gonna be fine even if you make a mistake just tell me what happened and, and then don't let's learn from it and don't do it again. I've made a million of them myself. I just try not to make the mm-hmm. same one twice. So I can't stand it when people lie.
0: You are listening to the Leaders and Legends podcast. It's presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana-based public relations enterprise and sponsored by Garmon Construction, Leaders and Legends, LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and nfp a national insurance broker with strong local content our guest today is mel Rains. she's the chief operating officer and president pacer sports and entertainment is there a particular hoosier leader and or legend you admire most we've talked about dan coates jim morris mentioned some of the others maybe choose someone a little different oh you did mention allison malangdon who's off the charts yeah
1: allison's great i mean I might. I might pick Susan Brooks. I mean, she um, is it has become a dear friend of mine, but is a great cheerleader for the state of Indiana that people don't understand one of the best connectors i've ever seen she will meet a stranger at an airport and lord knows where she could be in sweden and she would find someone they knew in common and then tell them something about our state that's great and you know and encourage them to come here for some reason um
0: she's one of the world's great listeners
1: she's a great listener she's a great advocate for women but anyone who she thinks, you know, needs a hand, quite honestly. Um, and she does it all sort of mostly under the radar. You know, she happily stepped away from her seat and she's not out on the news every day or throwing, um, you know, throwing a lot of stuff out on Twitter. And But she's quietly uh, doing, working to advocate for the things she really cares about. And I really respect that. Um, she's great.
0: How did you end up... I want to do this in somewhat chronological order. <laughs> Good luck. So go, go, let's go back just for one second. Okay. Where were you on
1: 9-11? Well, I lived in New York City, and I worked for Philip Morris Companies, and I was in our office across from Grand Central Station.
0: And how did the day unfold for you?
1: Um, well, I went to, I was already in the office, um, and I was on my way to a meeting when we were walking by, my boss and I were walking by a conference room and a colleague had a, we didn't have TVs everywhere in the office. It was in a, it was on and it was, she was watching the local news, like the local Fox news, I think. And she said, um, like something hit the World Trade Center and we we went in there and we were looking at it and
0: you couldn't see it from the Philip Morris building. No.
1: We were probably it's probably Did you see the smoke? No. We're we're about we were in midtown, so it's you know, three miles away or something as the crow flies. And um, maybe two. And so Anyway, long story short, we're standing there and the local newscasters are saying, oh, a commuter plane flew into it and they had a guy from Hoboken right across the river on like by phone and like, you know, Robert from Hoboken's on the phone. What what did you see? And he said, it was an American Airlines plane that fl- I saw it fly into the World Trade Center and it was just totally silent. And the, the picture was just the one on fire. And then all of a sudden there was a fireball and the, on the screen and, um, the, the person, I I looked at my boss and said, was that a replay of the plane hitting? And we looked at each other and the other one was on fire. And now this one was on fire. And we, you know, it was sort of your holy shit moment. Exactly. Um, I'm on an island that planes are flying into tall buildings and I'm in a tall building. Um, And so obviously The meeting was, everything was canceled. The protocol in New York at the time from the last World Trade Center bombing was, was shelter in place. So they had a, you know, they locked us in the building until about one o'clock. And then I walked home, a couple of my colleagues who couldn't get home came with me into my studio apartment and stayed. Um, But yeah, it was, it was a horrible, horrible day, week, month. Um, When did you go back to the office? We went back the next – so we were told we could go in Thursday, and then – so I did, because I'm sitting in a studio apartment, you know, there's nothing you can do, and I walked in. I didn't want to ride the subway, so I walked to to work maybe a mile and a half, and an hour in, there was another issue at the Grand Central, and they sent us all home, and we went back on Monday, so –
0: when you saw the plane or read about the plane hitting the Pentagon, you obviously had folks there, including someone you work with No, yeah. yeah. Allison Barber. Uh, yeah. Speaking of wonderful podcast guests, she was yeah. terrific. Were you worried that someone, maybe you knew someone in the towers, but we're talking DC for a second, that you knew someone in the Pentagon who had been killed?
1: Sure. I mean, I had worked on the campaign, on the Bush-Cheney campaign, and so... I knew a lot of people in the administration in general and had been to the Pentagon many times and um, myself. And I knew that building, you know, how it's built makes it, you've been there, like, Mm -hmm. especially kind of vulnerable for something like this. And I had a lot of friends in the White House and, you know, you didn't know what else was, was coming. And their stories from that day are just... Unbelievable. Mitch
0: Daniels told us about his day. It was very interesting. Yeah, you're uh, exactly right. Um, yeah. The Super Bowl, let's get back to that for a second. Could it have gone? There's all sorts of behind-the-scenes hiccups. And uh, I was working for Mayor Ballard at the time. And But the Super Bowl committee basically had a blank check, like, what do you need, and we'll do it, as you were saying a few minutes ago. Yeah. And the leadership was ridiculous. Mark Miles, Allison Malangdon, the list goes on. Yeah. Tony Mason, you. Uh, if you were to write a book about it, the experience, what would we learn that we don't know? Mm.
1: Yeah, there were, it was really kind of the perfect storm, I think, of people coming together and entities coming together. And um, But there were, you know, uh, there were a lot of, of almost disasters <laughs> along the way. There were certainly frustrations and mission creep you know i'm i'm a i'm a pretty straightforward you know operational person and we we kept adding and adding and adding and i'm like we've got to deliver you know i would be worried like we have to deliver on the basics before you have to bake the cake before Mm -hmm. you decorate it Mm -hmm. to some degree and i i would get worried you know i would tell allison i'm worried like we're you know the super cures uh event which was great Mm -hmm. um uh, the breast cancer piece we did, like we're not going to cure breast cancer was something I would say to her. Um, <laughs> I've got to have a transportation plan, you know, kind of stuff. And, and, and in Allison's view, right. she taught me a lot. We can do all of those things. We with the, all of those things can happen together. Um, and she kept, you know, kind of moving us in the right direction. It's easy when you know your last day on your first day to just be all in and do the 20 hour days you've done it on campaigns and other things. It's harder to do it when it, there's no end date. Um, but you know the Pan Am garage, the the day that that um, they were worried about it uh, colla- you know that it wasn't going to be structurally sound, and we were going to have the ESPN set on it. And David Sherman called me and said, "We're shutting it. We're shutting it down, and we've got to do a quick structural study to see if we can ha- have this." and Allison said, run over and see if anybody notices. And every <laughs> news truck was there. And there was like caution, you know, dead person caution tape. And I thought this is, a, this is not, this is not good. You know, those kinds of things were happening. Um, but I think, you know, you make your own luck. And so we did a lot of hard work to set a great ground work. And the story I use that you couldn't Plan script anything else was on Super Bowl Sunday. There were some people tailgating at Giants fans, I believe, because it was so beautiful out. Can't can't do anything about it wasn't that. The days you know? before,
0: but yes, yes Allison tells yeah. that story. It's like yeah, well, it thanks. wasn't exactly seventy-five yeah. and sunny all week. Yeah,
1: thank you, Mother Nature, for for that. And um, and so the five a.m. news people are out. You know, nothing to cover yet. And somebody they said, oh, we forgot our Frank's Red Hot sauce, but everything else is perfect here. And four people brought them, knew where they were based on what they could see on the news, somebody biked them hot sauce, somebody drove them hot sauce, somebody (laughs) walked them hot sauce, and then that was on the news later. Like, you can't plan that, right? That's just people being proud of where they live and wanting this to be good. There's no staff work that can do that. There's no money that can buy that. That's just us. And so when you take the hard work and the resources and the talent we had and then you combine it with that special secret sauce, we Mm -hmm. always call it, Mm -hmm. like how do you lose, you know? And that's what we have to, that lightning in a bottle is what we're trying to recreate for the All-Star game next year. For the 20... NBA All-Star game.
0: So was there a day or a time where you're like, we're behind the curve really bad here for the Super Bowl and I just don't know if we can catch up? Because you can't possibly know everything that's going on even I in the mayor's office I was basically there just to be helpful for the media and you certainly you want to give shout out to your kick-ass media person for the Super Bowl
1: (laughs) I sure do I sure do you did a fantastic job
0: no 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 not me who who worked for the Super Bowl
1: oh Diana Boyce thank you yeah of course she's on our team again she's we we uh have her on the NBA All-Star game leading our efforts there and she's doing a fantastic job she's and so, so another good. cheerleader for this city like no other. I mean, she's fantastic and she's, you sort of forget that she's four foot, you know, 11, <laughs> nothing, a hundred pounds soaking wet. Cause she's a force of nature. Um, but um, no, I would say I never thought it wasn't going to happen and be good there. It just, but what it means is you roll up your sleeves and you work, you know, 7am to, to midnight all the time, about two weeks before the game. I I came down with a horrible cold, and I did not have time for a cold. And I've maybe had five sick days in my entire career, and this was going to be one of them if I was in a regular job. And so I have a friend in town who's a doctor. I called him at six in the morning, and he's like, "I'll call you a Z pack. Go pick up the Z pack and get." advil cold and sinus afrin um, mucinex take that and like something else and i had it lined up on my desk you know by seven thirty. and i said if i start to seize and the ambulance comes i took ev- all of these things i have taken just tell them what it is and we like mushroom clouded this cold and i was fine in about a day but it i mean i i i was like i've got you know 20 hour days in front of me and um and but we i knew we would get it done but it was a lot
0: In some ways, when you work in politics, I'm going to overstate this, so you correct me, but it's going to transition to something else. Election Day, it's it's not anticlimactic, but it's kind of like the exhale day. We've done all we can. It's up to the voters. There's nothing we can do now. Was Super Bowl Sunday like that for you? Because I know, I'm guessing that you and Tony and Allison and Diana and everyone else saw about a minute of the game. Maybe, what yeah. was Super Bowl Sunday like for you? And then talk to us a little bit about the next day when it clearly went so well. The Patriots, thank God, were defeated by the Giants. <laughs> Everything yeah. about it was just magnificent. And then you come into work the next day, or whether real or metaphoric, tears of joy.
1: Yeah, you know, I've never thought about that analogy, but you're absolutely right. It was Super Bowl Sunday was like election day. Your your work is largely done. The cake is baked, and now you just have to see what happens. Um, And I was ready for something to happen, and I was going to need to swing in and do something, and it didn't. Um, So I sat, there's a control center for the Super Bowl up in the press box that the league builds out, Mm -hmm. and Andy Arnold, who um, was my kind of right-hand person, and worked at the stadium before... He came to work with us, and now he runs the building, Cambridge Fieldhouse, and leads that team. He's fantastic. Um, So he was in the control center as our all-day person. I was out around downtown, um, and then at game time, they called me and said, come up and sit up here for the game. So I didn't have a view of the field, but there's screens, and Mm -hmm. I got to see kind of how that worked from their perspective. Side note, subsequently, I've worked eight or nine Super Bowls for the um, stadium team and gone and just gone for four or five days and helped, um, which is really fun to do. But um, I got to sit and see that. And um, it was really smooth. And then after the game, they invited us to go down on the field and they have a little party for all the people who worked. Oh, that's terrific. After the teams are gone and all that, they get some, some beer and you take pictures. And so that was really great. They let Mike Fox, who ran the stadium then down and a few of us went down and then this is is terrific mike's great yeah he's helping us also with the all-star game um so i the next day this is the best thing so my father i've worked in the white house and i've worked for you know all these other things um is nonplussed by this and he's not a political person and and um and so but he loves the weather channel so the Weather Channel was here that week. <laughs> I think
0: to, in order to get your drugs when you're older, you have to check the box that you watch. Yeah. My dad was before
1: he died was absolutely glued to it.
0: I'm like, what the hell are
1: you watching? Yeah. Look outside the window. All about the Weather Channel. So um, the Weather Channel <laughs> is broadcasting from Super Bowl week, and Diana sets me up with a with a um, an interview the before the Super Bowl. So I go on and do my and tell my dad this is what time I'm going to be on, and he has never been prouder than the day. I was on the Weather Channel interview. So so I get a call Sunday night after the Super Bowl. They want me to come on like seven the next morning to do like a wrap-up on the weather channel. And I said, sure. So I get up early, I go back in, I I meet, I do the thing, but I don't tell my dad because it's like midnight when I find out and Mm -hmm. it's seven in the morning. So I I leave the interview and I'm walking back to my car to go to the office to, you know, what am I gonna do now? I don't know, it's over. And um (laughs) and he said and my phone rings. And it's my dad. And he's like, you did a great job on the Weather Channel again. And I was like, Dad, are you just literally watching it like it's a TV show all the time? I didn't realize this, you know. So he was never been prouder. So that's how uh, that's that's what I did right after the Super Bowl was I made my dad proud by being on the Weather Channel.
0: Did you we put that in your tombstone?
1: I know. I, I was know. on the Weather Channel. Traffic and weather on the eights. <laughs> yeah. Did you do the zip line? I did. I'm terrified of heights. And so we did the test. We did the testing. And so I told Andy Arnold and then Jeremiah Shirk, who was, who was my other guy. I said, one of you's in front of me and one's behind. And I'm going to get two two three two, three flights up and say, I'm not doing this. You have to make me keep walking up these stairs. And sure enough, we get to the second floor. And I think Andy was behind. And I turned around and said, get out of my way. I'm going back down. And he said, no, you told me not to do that. And I said, I'm not kidding get out of my way. And he's like, no, just turn around and do one more flight. So we did that 11 flights. And then I sat down on the platform and they hooked me up (laughs) and the guys pushed me to the edge because it's everything in you not to stand at the top of an 11 story building and take a step off of it. Even if there's a harness on you, you should not, your instinct should tell you not to do that. So I, I, it took someone literally pushing me off of it, but it was awesome. Did you do it again? I did do it, ended up doing it one other time with my college roommate, Karen, at night. We had bought tickets. I went online and bought tickets early in the week. And so we did it maybe Thursday night.
0: What was the NFL's reaction to the Indianapolis Super Bowl? I mean, it's a, not only, I would say it's a seminal Super Bowl, it's also a watershed Super Bowl for the NFL How did they react to how everything? I mean, forget the weather, right? But just how everything was so different—the legacy project, the Super Bowl Village, yeah. all this stuff. What did they say
1: to yeah. you? I well, I could. I tell you two things that will tell you the answer to that. One is they do like an eight a.m. ops meeting every day for about 10, two weeks, ten days, and Allison and I would go to that meeting together and represent the city. If they had anything they needed at that point, they would tell us, and. Um, they did not understand what we were doing at the Super Bowl Village. It was sort of an annoyance to them. It as we planned like a it, Yeah, this you're complicating things, and we don't understand what you're doing. And we have the NFL experience for the fans, and but like you can do it, but we don't understand why. Was sort of the the thought. So they let us do it, but we were a bit of a gnat about it. I would say, hmm. and so. And, well, of course, now it's in the bid specs and you have to do it. But regardless, <laughs> we got to about day. So so we opened on Friday before, you know, and so the first weekend went amazingly. I think Roger Goodell did the zip line one day, you know, kind of thing. And then Tuesday morning, Allison had something else. I think I went to the meeting alone and I walked in at eight and it's 50 people on this meeting and they gave me a standing ovation when I walked in and I sat down and I was like, I don't know, because usually we're the like the host committee screwed mm-hmm. something up or the city isn't doing this right. you usually you're not getting positive feedback in these meetings. You're just trying to fix problems. And I thought, I don't understand what's happening right now. And they said, we, we finally get it. We, we, we understand what you are doing and it's amazing. So that's one story. The other story is. I have to ask you, did you, you're tearing up. Yeah. Like it was really, because these are hard people I fought with sometimes mm-hmm. for two and a half years mm-hmm. over things. And. Um yeah and they're great and 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 many of them became friends later and then having worked all these super bowls um you'll you'll talk to people I was in Tampa in 21 I think I went and worked it and they said uh everybody will say oh how did you get here how did who did you know whatever and they said um I'll always say, oh, I I worked on the Indianapolis Host Committee, and to a person, you could be in transportation, hotels, whatever, they say, that's the best Super Bowl I've ever been to. And I'll be standing in Florida in (laughs) 75-degree weather when they're saying this, best Super Bowl I've I've ever worked, I've ever been to, you guys did such a great job, I hope we go back, like, everyone says that, and it's been a long time, you know?
0: You look at, we have a few more minutes with Mel Raines, our Leaders and Legends podcast for this week you look at organizations and i'm a history guy i love reading about leadership and how things get done indianapolis seems to punch above its weight in several categories but to me it's leadership above all else you look at the indianapolis motor speedway now mark miles roger penske doug bowles allison Langdon all working in the same place like, how yeah. could it not be a success? Yeah. And I what thought the
1: race this year was fantastic. It
0: I went. Really, First time really I had good. been in however yeah. long. It was beautiful. Yeah, me that's too. everything about it. Pacers. Rick Fusen, Jim Morris, Herb Simon. You know, Bill Benner's no longer there, uh, but that's okay. Uh, yeah.
1: Steve Simon. Yeah, it's good people.
0: Uh, uh, this lady named Mel Raines. <laughs> All of you together. Lori Miser, who's just off so wonderful. Such yeah. a neat person. Yeah. The, the list goes on and on. How much do you think about the art and science of leadership and how it makes a huge difference? We could also talk about the incomparable Pete
1: Ward. Yeah, Pete's uh, Pete's the the best. Mm -hmm. Um, I think about it a lot. I think about culture um, and how you create your culture and how that having that right culture and leadership really cultivates successful host committees, businesses, events. I I spend a lot of my time thinking about that, and I, you know, some of it is hiring really talented people and giving them everything they need to do their jobs well, Um, and you know, and then some of it is inspiring them. So, uh, and I think people confuse management and leadership a lot. Management is not leadership,
0: Mm, exactly. (laughs)
1: Um, And so, when I look at just in our recent history, a lot of people would have said. Um, the field house is perfect. You don't need to touch it. Don't do anything to, to, um, field house. And Rick and Herb and Steve and Jim had a vision that we, we need to evolve it and it's got us to stay world-class and keep getting all these events. It has, we have to keep up with new generations, how they watch, uh, games and events and, and it needs to be modernized and, um, and, uh, and the city saw that vision too. Um, Mayor Hogshead and his team and and it used to be Barney Levingood, as you know, mm-hmm. and now Andy Mallon. Everybody bought into that. Speaking
0: of great young leaders, yeah, Andy Mallon.
1: He's great. Um and so and and you know, so we we have are almost done with this three hundred and sixty million plus renovation of and, and the new plaza that we're adding um to be really community focused. And people might have said, and some people may still say, you didn't need to do anything to that. But we did, it's much better. That vision for that, we will get more events. We will, when we do host those events, they will be better events when they come, um, which I think leads to a thriving business community and people who wanna live here. And I think all of these assets, the, the Colts and the stadium and the Pacers and the Field House, and the zoo, and the which I'm a proud member of the board of, but the zoo and the Children's Museum and the symphony and all these things, are why we're not, you know, Omaha. <laughs> and exactly. and if we want to keep growing, we have to keep having the vision of how we keep advancing. I mean, it's hard to believe, but Lucas Oil Stadium is 15 years old um, and it is in great shape. Um, and I feel confident Andy and his team and Pete and, and the Ursays will make sure that it stays best in class. So the next time, whether it's the draft or the combine or the another Super Bowl, maybe one day or the college football playoff, that building will be the best one they've been in, too. But you can't just rest on your laurels.
0: Because it's a copycat. I mean, to use a sports metaphor about the NFL, it's a copycat league. Yeah. So Nashville sees what we do. We see what Chicago does or, you know, choose your city and go, well, you know, that's we can do that. We should do that. Yeah. The plaza idea, to me, is terrific because it was just land sitting there. I mean, parking garages aren't they, – they do have their utility. Yeah. But talk to us just a little bit before we ask you the five questions here at the end. Uh, what what fans, what people are going to see when the wonderful Shiel Sexton, my former employer, yes. uh, gets done – Shout out
1: to Mike Diltz. Uh, yeah.
0: Speaking of just unsung leaders yep. – I remember seeing him drive a Prius around. I'm like, dude, what are you, what are you doing? Now you he's got
1: be. his scout. Now yeah. he's got his antique car that I'm jealous of. I'm
0: like, you should be driven around. I'll drive you around, Mike. I know you got what five daughters. Yeah, I'll be your adopted son. Yeah. Uh, what will citizens, visitors, people see? What will they be able to do that they couldn't have done a few years ago? At the at the site where you're talking about the plaza
1: bicentennial Un- unity plaza right by, um, well, by game Fieldhouse. house for one thing they'll be able to ice skate um, which we have not had downtown in a long time so we will be ice skating this winter for the first time and i don't know when the rink left um, monument circle but i know it's been a very long time
0: and pan am had a rink or has one but it's coming down
1: well, it's indoor. Indoor, yeah, right. But so, it's, And it's
0: going to be gone when they build the new hotel. Yeah,
1: it'll be gone. Um, I think the big difference with this plaza, and because we have some great public spaces, certainly in town, is that a sports and entertainment company with a full-time talented team of people is programming that um, space, that the Lilly Endowment so generously granted money to to Andy and the CIB to help build. And so we've got some amazing public art. The goal is, quite simply, to make that one of the top five things. When you come to Indianapolis, you haven't been here if you haven't been to Bicentennial Unity Plaza, and see the together sculpture and see the sphere, hear the story of the 200 year history of our city. And then you may also shoot some hoops, you Mm -hmm. may go skating, you may see a concert, you may do sunrise yoga in the morning. Um, Our goal is to keep that active and open. And um, it's and you may go and eat lunch on a bench one day, too. But it's a community space, it's intended to primarily be for those kinds of events. And then the new commission row, uh, restaurant uh, entertainment cent building that's going on there too is just another nice amenity in downtown for when there are conventions in town or if we're having a big event in the field house, if you want to grab dinner or drinks before, it will be a great place to get married. There's a oh, 250 yeah. seat event space on the top floor overlooking the plaza and downtown. And so, you know, the investment that the Simon family has made and the CIB has made in that area of town, um, which I think is just vitally important to. To keep focusing on downtown and focusing on the assets there and growing that is, it's just so important to our future as a, a city and a state.
0: Where would where would Indianapolis, we'll forget Indiana for a second, where would Indianapolis be without the Lilly Endowment?
1: I don't know. They're amazing people with such a great vision, clear vision of what they um, want to try to accomplish. And it, it moves the needle every day here.
0: I remember in 2000 when Indiana, excuse me, when Indianapolis bid on the Republican National Convention. I remember Mitch I did
1: not have a vote. I just want you to know <laughs> I was just a staff person. I
0: just remember Mitch Daniels saying it's the latest in a, in a series of stupid decisions by my party. He yeah. said something roughly like that. Sounds
1: about right. Yeah.
0: All right. So it's 20. The next convention's 24. It's already been decided. I forget where it is.
1: Would it's you? In, it's in Milwaukee. It's, Ann, that's right. That's Ann right. Anne Hathaway. I was going to say Ann Hathaway at, would yeah.
0: know for sure. Yeah. Um, Would you advise in today's climate with everything that's going on for Indianapolis to host a Republican or Democratic convention? I mean, is it worth it?
1: You know, I've got mixed views on it. I've worked on six of them. And um, and I think Anne's going to do a great job in Milwaukee. The, here's the difference. We're used to zip lines and parties and Georgia Street closes and everybody comes downtown and has a good time. And we're certainly going to do that with the NBA All-Star Game weekend or that whole weekend of events. It's much more than just the game. Um, and, I, and a political convention is not that. It's a special event assessment rating. No, it's a national special security event. Um, it is barbed wire fencing. It is the National Guard standing outside the fence with guns. It is, um, it is a different way to view your city. Now, your name of your city gets on mm-hmm. you know all over the world for for four or five days of coverage, and, and that would be hard to buy. But I don't know that it, it it showcases your city in the best possible light the way we here are used to doing it and really rolling out the red carpet. It's really a security function. Um, which doesn't always show things off very well. Um, so I, I leave that to other people to decide if we should be doing that or not. It
0: is a bit of a mixed bag. It is. We have reached the point where we're going to stop asking questions of Mel Raines because I, I legitimately have like 30 more. <laughs> and so it, when when you retire, you can come back on.
1: Okay, Perfect.
0: I don't remember. Mel and Mark Miles and Greg Ballard came on the podcast to discuss the Super Bowl bid process. How did Indianapolis get it? It was a fun conversation, obviously. So I don't know if you did the five questions then, but you're going to do them now. I don't think we did,
1: actually. I think think we ran out of time because Miles
0: had to be in Broad Ripple or something. He's very kind to come on. What was your first job?
1: My first job was working at Notre Dame at Corby Hall, where the priests and monks live, serving dinner. After school.
0: I don't know that we'll ever get that answer again.
1: Very first job. Had it for three years. It was a great job. Father Hesburgh was a friend then. Speaking of leadership. Yeah, exactly.
0: What was your first concert?
1: Brian Adams at the Fort Wayne Coliseum with my soccer team in high school.
0: Your high school soccer team? My high school
1: soccer team went.
0: If you could suggest any book for someone to read, which book would you recommend?
1: I, a, I was thinking about this one, and I know you have so many historians, and they give these amazing answers, like Moby Dick, and you know. And i <laughs> I will tell you, I read a book last year; um, it's been out for a few years, called Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes, and it's a really easy. Uh, she's a great writer. Um, but it really popped me out of my comfort zone. I think we all get a little used to like invitations to interesting things. You know, you turn down a lot. and the point of the book was like say yes to things that scare you a little bit more. Um, and it and it did. It has made me change my behavior and i've I've um, had some great experiences by thinking about things a little bit differently. so i really I really recommend it.
0: Are you counting this podcast interview it's-
1: It sure is. <laughs>
0: Number four, if you could witness any event in history be there in person as it happens, which event would you choose?
1: This is so hard. Um, I listened to Jake's interview, you know. Um,
0: Mr. Jake Oakman? Mr.
1: Jake Oakman. And he, I think he mentioned the Red Sox. I was lucky enough to go to the Red Sox World Series in '04, but I was at an earlier game than the winning game. I would, I was b- born a month before Woodstock, and I think it would be really cool to go back and go to the first day of Woodstock and then leave and like shower and not have to live there for 3 days or whatever they they did. But I think it would be really cool to go back in time and see what what that was like as I was a baby.
0: That's a be that's a great answer that's not come up. I, I yes, whatever day Jimi Hendrix was playing. Yeah. I would want to be there. Yeah. Last question, if you could have dinner with anyone living today, living today, 2 hours off the record just to chat. Whom would you choose?
1: Okay. I also gave this a lot of thought. And I think the obvious answer is Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) So he's a... Does Blake get to come? No. This is a one-on-one dinner. He's obviously a great businessman who's done very well. He owns a sports team. We would have a lot in common. I think we would be instant friends. And um, I'm pretty sure we should try to get that scheduled.
0: I'll take care of that. Okay. Through the Leaders and Legends podcast. But then he has to come on.
1: Okay. Yeah. Perfect.
0: Deal? Yeah. Deal. You have been listening to Leaders and Legends, a podcast presented by Veteran Strategies, an Indiana based public relations enterprise, and sponsored by Garmont Construction, Leaders and Legends LLC, the Grand Hall and Conference Center at Historic Union Station, the McGinley's Golden Ace Inn, and NFP a national insurance broker with strong local content. As always, all our podcast interviews are dedicated to the legacy and generosity of P.E. McAllister. Our guest today has been Mel Raines, President, Chief Operating Officer with Pacer Sports and Entertainment. You want to talk about leadership in this city? You need to start with Mel Raines. I've never heard anyone ever say a bad word about you. They well, say nothing you. but praise and it's deservedly and deservedly so. Thank you for your kindness to me personally and for everything you've done for the city. It's remarkable.
1: Thanks for having me on, Robert. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much for listening to Leaders and Legends brought to you by Veteran Strategies Incorporated. If you want to contact us about this program or our menu of public relations services, please send us an email at robert at veteranstrategies.com. That's robert at